I want to ask you to take your Bibles, if you will, tonight, and we'll look uh, in some Scripture uh, tonight in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 16. The Gospel of Matthew, uh, chapter number 16. And uh, I've had these, uh, this Scripture on our heart for several weeks and uh, didn't know exactly when uh, that we were going to I uh, have to use this, but uh, tonight's the night. And so we want to uh, just share with you God's Word and what the Lord's laid on our heart uh, from this Scripture. Uh, but Matthew chapter 16, if you're able to do so, would you stand for the reading of God's Word uh, tonight? We want to begin reading with verse number 21. Matthew 16, 21. It says, From that time forth, Began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Then Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. But he turned and said unto Peter, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me. For thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Then said Jesus unto his disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels... And then he shall reward every man according to his works. And I want to read also verse 28. It says, Verily I say unto you, There be some standing here which shall not taste of death till they see the Son of Man in his coming. Now, that verse 28, if you'll go on in chapter 17, you'll find that Jesus would be transfigured uh, before Peter, James, and John. So they're going to get a glimpse. It's just like that the Lord is going to roll back uh, the curtain and they're going to get, get a glimpse of Him in His glorified state as He is transfigured uh, before them uh, there. But I want us to consider uh, mostly tonight in verses 21 through 27. Join us in prayer if you would. God, our Father in heaven, as we bow in your presence, we want to thank you, Lord, for the day. Thank you for the blessings of this week and this weekend. Thank you for the word of God that was brought. We thank you, Lord, for the good seed of the word of God that was planted uh, this weekend. And God, we thank you, Lord, for the fruit uh, that we saw uh, through the word of God. And Lord, we realize that there's going to be a time of watering and and God, we know that that will be taking place in the hearts and lives of many of these teenagers. 
And God, we know that You're going to give the increase. And Lord, we love You and we thank You for loving us. And as we gather here tonight in Your house, we thank You for these that are here. Thank You, God, for uh, the blessing, Lord, just to come to the house of God. And I pray, God, that You'll speak to all of our hearts. Draw us close together, close to You. Help us to recognize the main thing, God, is as we are Your children. God, help us to be up and about Your business, doing the most important thing that You've called us to do. And Lord, we love You. Thank You for loving us now. Pray You'd lead through the remainder of this service. In Jesus' name we ask. Amen. Amen. Thank You so much. I want you to think for a few minutes tonight about Think about something that is of great value, something that is very valuable. I looked at a few things, uh, some of the most valuable things uh, that they are in the world. And you can Google some of this and take a look at it, and it'll amaze you. Uh, there's a yacht that's called the History Supreme Yacht. And uh, this yacht is overlaid with gold. I mean, it is, it's unreal. You'd have to, to see a picture of it to, to really get the grasp. And it, it's overlaid uh, with gold. And that yacht alone is valued at four and a half billion. Listen to this. Four and a half billion dollars uh, for a boat. And you know, my mind thinks some crazy things sometimes. And I, I was thinking about this, a four and a half billion dollar yacht. What if that thing sprung a leak? <laughs> you know, I mean, you think about that. Sprung a leak and that thing's down in the bottom of the ocean uh, somewhere. Four and a half billion dollars uh, uh, for a yacht. But it's amazing uh, to see a picture uh, of that. There's also a residence that's called Anatelia. And that residence alone is worth $2 billion. It's in Mumbai, uh, I don't know if I can pronounce it, Mumbai, India. And it's a private home there on an island. I cannot pronounce the man's name that owns it, but it's 27 floors. It's got three helicopter pads. It's got a 50-seat uh, theater uh, in there. And I think it had nine elevators that are there uh, in that building. It is unreal uh, what that, that is, but it's, it's valued at two billion. I cannot even comprehend billion, billion, two billion dollars. Also, there's a home in the French Riviera, Villa Leopolda, 506 million dollars is what it is valued at. There's also a painting uh, by Leonardo da Vinci, and it's called S a Salvator Mundi painting, and it's worth $430.3 million. There's another painting, and it's called the Card Player's Painting, that is valued at $250 million. Dollars. Jeff Bezos, that is the founder of Amazon, and uh, he lives in a house in Beverly Hills. 
that is valued at $165 million. Now that's hard for me, I'm just an old country fella. And it's hard for me to grasp the value of those things. And so just kind of to bring it down uh, to where we're at tonight, what would, you, what would you say is of great value? It might be the home that you live in. I know our, to, to me, our home is of great value. I, I love our home. I love where we live. And it's not the fanciest place that you've ever uh, been to. But I want to tell you what, it's home. And it is of great value to me. And some people would value their homes uh, just, just amazing. And then uh, you think about an automobile. You know, I, I value my automobile because I can get in and get where I need to go. I can, I can go. I remember one time uh, Jared was buying a car. And we were at Hardy Chevrolet, and I was driving uh, my old red Chevrolet work truck. And we had gone in my old Chevrolet work truck over there. And so he was buying a car, and we were standing there, uh, there and overlooking the car lot. And we were standing there. They were getting the paperwork uh, ready and everything. And, and Jared standing there, and he said, uh, said, Dad, said, why don't you buy you a truck? And I said, what? And he said, why don't you buy you a truck? And I said, well, I can give you three reasons. And uh, he said, what is it? And I said, number one, I said, there's nothing wrong with the truck I got. And I said, number two, that truck's paid for. And that truck will get me anywhere that I want to go. And I said, I can lay down my head on my pillow at night and know that I don't have a truck payment or anything. And I said, that's why I don't go and buy a truck. And so, you know, to some people, it's a, the things that we obtain in this life are of great value. You know, the Bible tells us that every single one of us are marvelously, wonderfully made. Do you realize tonight that God said something about you that He didn't say about anything else that He created? Now, I want you to think about this. Go back to Genesis. Let's go back there to Genesis 1. And, you know, this morning Brother Jacob was talking about how that God created. God created. And I want you to listen to something that God says about you and I. In Genesis chapter number 1, the Bible says in verse number 26 and 27, listen to this. It says, And God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And the Bible says, So God created man in His own image. In the image of God created He him. 
male and female created he them. Now turn over to chapter 2. The Bible says in verse number 7, it says, And the Lord God formed man of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. God said something about you and I. God said something about man that He didn't say about any other creature that He made. You and I are made in the image and in the likeness of God. And the Bible says that God formed us from the dust of the ground and breathed into our nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. Value. You know, for somebody, for something of value, if you were in the real estate business and you got an appraiser to appraise property or some real estate that you had or maybe a, a home or a business uh, that you had, that individual, that appraiser would base his appraisal on what on the value of that appraisal on what someone would be willing to pay for it. Okay? So I want to tell you tonight, and just think about this tonight for a few minutes in light of Matthew chapter number 16. The Bible said this, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul, or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? God breathed into man's nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I say tonight on the authority of the Word of God, and that is all that is within my heart tonight, is that the most valuable thing that there is is not the possessions. It's not some yacht that's overlaid uh, with gold somewhere. It's not some 27-story uh, uh, building on an island somewhere that's got the three helicopter pads. It's not uh, a painting by Leonardo da Vinci. It's not any of those things. It's not anything that you and I can accumulate, but it's what you and I already have. And that's a soul. We have a soul. Every man, woman, boy, and girl has a soul. Now let's go up to verse 21. And let's look at a few things right here. The Bible said in verse number 21, it says, From that time forth, if we think about what has just happened, what has just taken place earlier in Matthew chapter 16, the Bible said in verse 13, that when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, He asked His disciples, saying, Who do men say that I the Son of Man am? And they said, Some say that thou art John the Baptist, some Elias, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He saith unto them, 
but whom say ye that I am? Now, Jacob mentioned this morning that, that in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, and Luke, that it, those Gospels are used uh, to describe uh, who Jesus is. Who He is. You know, we get over to the Gospel of Matthew, and it says, in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and the same was in the beginning with God, and how that, that Word became flesh and dwelt among us. And, and Jesus asked the disciples very plainly here, said, who do men say that I am? And they said, well, some of them say that you're John the Baptist. Some of them say that you're Elias or Elijah. And said, and others, Jeremiah, are one of the prophets. And then he asked them this. He said, but who do you say that I am? And the Bible says that Simon Peter, in verse 16, Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Peter makes this profession of faith. And he says, Thou art the Christ, the Anointed One. He's the one they'd been looking for. He's been the one that they'd been longing for. He's the one that had been prophesied would come. And he said, Thou art the Christ. You're the one. You're the one that we've been looking for. So you get over here to verse 20, 21, and it says, From that time forth, well, up to this point, up to this point as, as the Scripture uh, gives, he had been trying to convince the disciples that He was the promised one. He was giving evidence of that through the miracles that He was performing, through what He taught. And He was trying up to this point, trying to convince them of who He was, that He was that Messiah that the Old Testament Scripture had prophesied would come. And it said there in verse number 21, it says, From that time forth, after that had been accomplished, it says, From that time forth began Jesus to show unto His disciples how that He must. Notice the word must in there. How that He must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Jesus, from this point on, in the Gospel of Matthew, from this point on, He's preparing the disciples of what was to be next. He was making preparations for, for them on what would happen next. He had convinced them that He was the Messiah, that He was the Christ, the Anointed One that would come. And He began preparing them for what was next. And just in the Gospel, I want to show you this, just in the Gospel of Matthew alone, from, from right here forward, as we go on through Matthew, I want you to notice the number of times that He does exactly what He does here. He said He, he, he began to show unto His disciples how that He must go to Jerusalem, suffer many things of the elders and the chief priests and scribes, that He would be killed, and be raised again the third day. 
If you look on over in chapter 17, look in, in verses uh, 22 and 23. It says, And while they abode in Galilee, Jesus said unto them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed into the hands of men, and they shall kill Him. And the third day He shall be raised again. And the Bible says, And they were exceeding sorry. If you go over to chapter 20, verse 17 through 19, it says, And Jesus going up to Jerusalem took the twelve disciples apart in the way and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the chief priest and unto the scribes, and they shall condemn him to death and shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. So there's another instance of that. In Matthew chapter uh, 26, in verses 1 and 2, it says, And it came to pass, when Jesus had finished all these sayings, He said unto His disciples, You know that after two days is the feast of the Passover, and the Son of Man is betrayed to be crucified. Later on in that same chapter, Mary of Bethany would anoint Jesus. And Jesus would say this in verse 12. It says, For in that she hath poured this ointment on my body, she did it for my burial. So from, from Matthew 16, 21, Jesus begins in Matthew from that point on. He begins in Matthew preparing the disciples for what would take place next. And think about verse 21. It said that He must, notice this, He must go unto Jerusalem. Now look in verse number 22. Something happens here. Peter rebukes the Lord on what he had just, say, just stated. They said, Peter took him and began to rebuke him, saying, Be it far from thee, Lord, this shall not be unto thee. Peter, in essence, was saying, No. said, No way, this is not going to happen. This is not going to take place. But notice Jesus' response uh, to Simon Peter. He turned and said to Peter, said, Get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things that be of God, but those that be of men. Jesus said, Get thee behind me, uh, Satan. Do you remember him making that statement before? Back in Matthew's Gospel, chapter number 4, Jesus was tempted uh, of the devil there in the wilderness. And Jesus makes this statement. The devil had said, All things will I give unto thee, if thou fall down and worship me. Then saith Jesus unto him, Get thee hence, Satan. 
For thou shalt worship the Lord thy God, and him only shalt thou serve. Jesus said he came into this world not to do his own will, but the will of the Father that sent him. He was coming. He was coming for a reason. He was coming for a purpose. And he stated the purpose. He stated what was going to take place to these disciples. In essence, he was telling Peter, said, your thinking is not God's thinking. Your way is not God's way. Think about in Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9. It says this, For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, saith the Lord. I'm thankful that God had a plan. God had a plan for you and I. God had a plan for these disciples. And God had a plan for you and I. Because they were something of greater value than anything else. And we'll see what that is in just a moment. In verse 24, Jesus said unto His disciples, If any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whosoever will save his life shall lose it. And whosoever will lose his life for my sake shall find it. Only Jesus could drink the cup that he was about to have to drink. Only he. Do you remember how that little later on that Peter would make this statement? He said, be this far from you, Lord. He said, we'll fight. We'll fight. And we know that even when Jesus was arrested there in the Garden of Gethsemane, that Peter drew his sword and cut off the ear of one of those that had come. And Jesus just reached, picked the ear up, and put it back on, healed him. And he told him, he said, put up your sword. Put up your sword. It was this, for this reason and for this purpose that he came. You know why? Because they were something of value. They were something of great value. Only Jesus could drink the cup that He must drink. We are, after we're saved, we're to deny ourselves. In one place it says, it says that we're to deny ourselves and take up our cross daily and follow Him. You know, a lot of times we, we think about following Jesus as being just, well, we just come to church. That's following Jesus. That's part of it. But that's not all there is. If you'll really get into that and begin to study that, begin to pray about this, to be a follower of Jesus. He said here, he said, deny himself. How often do we deny ourselves? How often do we, do we deny ourselves sleep? How often we did not do we deny ourselves? If it's if it's if it's nothing that's inconvenient, we're willing to do. If it's something that is convenient, we're willing to do. If it's something that's inconvenient, we're reluctant to do those things. And he said, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Think about these things this morning. This life that you and I live is a testimony. 
It is our testimony. The Bible says that this life's a vapor is here for a short time, and then it vanishes away. What we do here gives testimony to who we are. It gives testimony to what we are, the life that you and I live in this present world. Think about this. The Bible said now, look in verse 26 for just a moment, and I'll be done in just a few minutes, okay? The Bible said in verse number 26, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? What is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world? If it were possible, if it were possible, you know, I, I, can, I can't imagine the things that I mentioned a little bit ago that's of value. I can't imagine any of those things. I just, I just can't. I can't wrap my mind around a yacht that costs that much, buildings or homes that cost that I, I cannot wrap a painting to hang on the wall. I can't wrap my mind over the, the cost of those things. I just cannot grasp those things. And I could not grasp the thought, if it was possible, that if an individual could gain the entire world, I mean, think about this, the entire world, to possess, to own the entire world with all of its riches, with all of its pleasures, with all of its privileges, with everything it is. I cannot imagine, I can't grasp that if a person, if it was possible for a person to do that. Over in the book of Hebrews, listen to what this says right here. The Bible says in verse 24, Hebrews eleven twenty-four. By faith, Moses, when he was come to years, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Listen. Choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season esteeming the reproach of Christ greater riches than all the treasures in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. Moses, he had everything in Egypt. He had everything he could possibly want. Everything at his disposal that he could possibly want. Ever pleasure that they, they could even be imagined was right there at his fingertips. All the riches of Egypt was right there at his fingertips. Everything he could possibly ever want, everything he could possibly ever enjoy was right there at his disposal. But you know what? Moses made a choice. He forsook all of that. He turned away from all of that. And he turned to God.
and he was trusting God. Hallelujah. Think about that. It says, what's it profited a man? If Moses had got all of that, what was it to him in comparison to eternity? If you and I could obtain the whole world and all of its riches, what is that compared to eternity? If you had that, that golden yacht to sail on, and you sailed on it, and you died one day, what is that in comparison to eternity? If you, you lived in one of those, you lived in that, that tower of a house or a, a building there on that island, 27 floors. What is that in comparison to eternity? What is a man profited? If he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Back in Matthew chapter number 10. Jesus makes this statement. He says, fear not them which kill the body, but are not able to kill the soul. But rather fear him which is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. What's it profited a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about something of value. I, I heard this story. And there was a man that lived on a farm in Africa. Huge farm. And the story goes like this, that people got to discovering diamonds in Africa. And so the man said, well, I want to get in on that. And I know what I'm going to do. He said, I'm going to sell my farm. And I'm going to go and I'm going to search for diamonds. And I'm going to get rich. And he sold his farm. And he went on a search for diamonds. And he went and he searched and he looked and he searched and he looked and he searched and he looked and he never found any. And the man was in despair. He'd given up everything. He had sold everything to go and search for those diamonds. And he got so depressed and so down. But on the other hand, the man that bought the farm crossed a little stream one day and he looked and he saw a stone there in that stream sparkling. And he reached down and he picked it up. And you guessed it. It was a huge diamond. And it come, come to find out that that entire farm was covered with diamonds. 
The man had sold it all. He didn't realize what he had and the value that he had until it was gone and he lost it. People are doing the same thing with their soul. A man, woman, boy or girl, their soul is of greater value than anything that there is. What shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Man's soul is of greatest value. You want to know, you want to know how to see what a soul's worth? Remember, I told you a while ago that if somebody appraises something, that the value of it is determined by what someone is willing to pay for it. If you want to know what your soul is worth, if you want to know what the soul of your next door neighbor is worth, if you want to know what the soul of your spouse is worth, if you want to know what the soul of your children is worth, if you want to know what the soul of your grandchildren uh, is worth, if you want to know uh, what the soul of your best friend is worth, if you want to know what the soul of your worst enemy is worth, only thing you've got to do is look at Calvary tonight and you'll see the value of that soul. The Bible tells us this. It says as Moses in the Gospel of John chapter number 3, it says that as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up. Notice the word must. Remember verse 21 of chapter 16 of Matthew that he must go into Jerusalem. It says, As Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have eternal life. For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God sent not His Son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through Him might be saved. He that believeth on Him is not condemned, but he that believeth not is condemned already, because he hath not believed in the name of the only begotten Son of God. In 1 Peter chapter number 2, the Bible says this in verse 24, talking about Jesus. It says, Who his own self bear our sins. Think about this. In his own body on the tree, that we being dead to sins should live unto righteousness by whose stripes you're healed. The Bible says in Acts 4.12, neither is there salvation in any other. For there's none other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. 1 Peter chapter 1 it says in verse 18, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things as silver and gold 
from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you. What a price. Jesus began telling those disciples in Matthew 16, 21, began to tell them that He must go to Jerusalem. He must be arrested. He must go to Calvary. He must die on the cross of Calvary. He would be buried and He would rise again the third day. He told them that that would take place. It's a must. Why? Because of the value of the soul. It says, For what is a man profited if he shall gain the whole world and lose his own soul? Or what shall a man give in exchange for his soul? Verse 27. It says, For the Son of Man shall come in the glory of his Father with his angels. And then he shall reward every man according to his works. Notice that it says the Son of Man shall come. Jesus said in John 14, He says, Let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. For in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you. I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself, that where I am, there you may be also. He's coming. Jesus said Himself, the Son of Man shall come. He shall come. In the book of Hebrews, chapter 10, very, I love, I love this verse, and we'll, we'll read it and skip right on by it if we're not careful. But in Hebrews chapter 10, and the Bible says in verse number 37, listen to this. It says, For yet a little while, and he that shall come, will come, and will not tarry. He will not Terry, I'm thankful tonight for the price that was paid for my soul. In Luke chapter 9 verse 25 says, For what is a man profited if he gain the whole world and lose himself and be cast away? In Matthew, it told us that the, Lord, the Son of Man shall come in the glory of His Father with His holy angels with Him. And He'll reward every man according to His works. Jot these down. You can read this when you get home. But in 2 Corinthians 5.10, it tells us of the judgment seat of Christ. This is for believers. And we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and give an account of the deeds done to body whether it be good or bad. It's not, whether, it's not a, a judgment as to whether or not a person's saved. If you're at the judgment seat of Christ, 
you're a child of God. But it has to do with rewards. Rewards. It's not to do with your salvation. It's to do with rewards. It's how you've lived and what you've done for Christ since you've been saved by His grace. And then over in Revelation chapter 23 verses 11 through 13 it's the great white throne judgment. And He said that He'll reward every man according to His works. The great white throne judgment unbelievers will stand before Him. The books are going to be opened and they're going to be judged out of what is written in those books in those books now I know that some people will not agree with the statement I'm fixing to make but I want to tell you this I believe this or I would not be standing here tonight as believers we'll stand before the judgment seat of Christ and we'll be held accountable At the great white throne judgment, unbelievers are going to stand before Him. But do you remember in 1 Thessalonians 4, the rapture? And it says, and so shall we ever be with the Lord. So wherever He goes, we're going to be there. And I believe that we're going to be at the great white throne judgment. Not to be judged, but we're going to be there as onlookers. Because after this, it's going to say, and he shall wipe all tears from their eyes. It's going to be after. If you'll read that, it's going to be after the great white throne judgment. It says he'll wipe all tears away from their eyes. I believe that we as believers, we're going to be there as onlookers. And we're going to see individuals. It may be family members, it may be friends, it may be co-workers that are going to stand there that we could have, that we should have, that we ought to have cared enough about their soul to tell them of the amazing grace of God. And we're going to hear Him say to those unbelievers, depart from me, I never knew you. And they're going to be cast into the lake of fire. Huh? You think about it. Terrible time. What's the value of a soul? The value of an individual soul is the, it's the greatest thing that there is, is a soul. Just look at Calvary and look at the price that was paid to redeem man's soul. Look at the price that was paid to redeem your soul, my soul, Look at the price that God paid to redeem your soul. It's great to have things, but the most important thing is a man's soul above everything else. And if there's anybody that ought to be burdened for lost souls, it ought to be a child of God. Washington, D.C. is not going to be burdened for souls. Hmm? Your local government's not going to have a burden for souls. Many churches today don't have a burden for souls. God help us. 
to have a burden for souls. Look at their value. Just look at Calvary and you'll see it.